Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is toga time, which I'm very excited about. I don't know if you're just hearing this for the first time, but uh, we're in a series of studying the first book of Corinthians with Dr. Peter Kapsner, and we are taking ourselves back to A.D. 55 in Corinth. I remember that Paul uh, founded the church in Corinth, and then a few years after leaving the church, uh, Paul heard some very disturbing reports about what was going on uh, in the Corinthian church. They were full of pride. They were uh, excusing sexual immorality um, and spiritual gifts were were being used improperly. And there was a lot of misunderstanding of very important key Christian doctrines. So Paul wrote this letter to try to restore the church. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And we call it toga time just because if you were living in AD 55, you'd probably be Wearing a toga. Now, you don't have to be wearing a toga to listen to this show today. Um, and, Peter, you don't. we don't have to either, but you're in one today, so I, thank you. I really wish you would have told me that before yeah. we started this well, show. I get it. I get yeah. it. And I'm the sandals, the sandals are a good now. look. You know, you could shave your toes, but you're, it's a good look. <laughs> Allie's been telling me that for years, yeah. that I need to shave those toes. Yeah, it's, it's not pleasant. <laughs> so we're, uh, we had three verses last time. We did. We spent the whole hour on three verses, which was fantastic. And I'm exce- well. No, we do an hour last time or half. An we hour? only did a half an hour. We've got sort of the extended play model. Yeah, that is extended gonna, play today. Yeah, indeed. so we're going to go a full hour, and we're going to look at First uh, Corinthians uh, verses four through nine. Well, and well, let's just, do some review. Yeah, no, and these are just so packed. I mean, the, the idea of doing a few verses like this over an hour, this isn't the kind of Bible study that I would often do, but I think it's really an important way to get into the text because, as you set up so well, it, it really helps us sort of transport ourselves into that city of Corinth. But even before we can do that kind of work, you just have to keep in your mind's eye, what's going on here when Paul wrote these letters? Yeah. And, and, and you and I had that background uh, episode when we talked about what was going on, and just really helpful to remember that in the book of Acts is where we first meet Paul. He is then known as Saul. He is a religious leader of the Jews. He's killing these early Christians. And on the road to Damascus, where he's going to continue his mission of killing Christians, he is greeted by the risen Lord, some sort of vision. And Jesus uh, strikes him blind and says, dude, it's time to go to the Gentiles and bring the good news Mm -hmm. to them. Which if we had just even been in that spot at that time, how uh, jaw-dropping that command would have been because the Jews were not supposed to have anything to do with the Gentiles. Right. The Gentiles were never going to be part of the chosen people. They weren't supposed to be a part of God's community and his kingdom. And suddenly Paul has this vision from Jesus to go do that. He uh, meets Ananias. Ananias heals him of his blindness. They go to Jerusalem together. They start talking to people like Peter and John and say, what are we going to do here? We just got this mission. Are we really going to the Gentiles? And they all agree, yeah, you, you need to head out to the Gentiles. And so then Paul starts going out among the Mediterranean world, and he goes to different cities like Galatia and Thessalonica and Corinth. And when he goes there, he just begins to share the gospel. And people respond. And then from that place, these people start forming churches. And once that work is done, usually about two years in each place, then Paul goes to the next city and he leaves behind a leadership team 
and the community uh, to continue their work in that city. But inevitably, something goes wrong. And uh, there'll be a messenger sent from that city to wherever Paul is now. So maybe the messenger from Corinth comes and visits Paul in Philippi and says, Paul, you can't believe what's going on in this church right now. And so Paul's not going to go back to Corinth, but he is going to write a letter to Corinth. Mm -hmm. And so that's what sort of sets the stage for all the different letters that Paul writes, is that to understand these letters, it really helps to understand possibly what the messenger would have brought to Paul and then what Paul is responding to. And that's the work you and I are doing as part of this letter and why each verse, Paul wasn't even writing in verses, right? He was just writing a letter. But he is so brilliant in how he sets up his arguments about how he's going to respond as these letters get read in the church. So when Paul was on his on the road to Damascus, did was there a little bit of a violent ex- exchange where did he get knocked off a horse? Was there talk of that? It sure seemed to be. It I mean, did seem, it, it would have got his attention. Not for a sure. gentle nudge, was yeah, it? No, it was no. kind of a, it was a kind of a big, big moment. Well, it, well I think on every level, yeah. like it, it, we, we talk so often about how the cross and the and the empty tomb event is the sort of the the turning point of history, and it really is. But the turning point of redemptive history in a lot of ways is this moment where Paul gets knocked off his horse because, again, he's just about ready to go out into the Wild West where the Jewish people never were supposed to go among all these different kinds of people. And the Corinthian community had all these different kinds of religions. They were worshiping emperors. They had all kinds of weird practices they were doing. So he's going into the thick and the grime of the world. And and that was new for the Jewish people who were always supposed to stay out of that. But uh, there's a lot that we could talk about related to yeah. that, too. And, Peter, safe to say churches today are still struggling with divisions and immorality and, and misuse of spiritual gifts. So yeah. uh, what was going on back then is still happening today. So uh, let's dig into being uh, uh, residents of Corinth in AD 55. Yeah, we're going to see that we're right away. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to see that right away. He's going to um, be calling them out on how they're using what uh, we're going to describe as a gift of knowledge and a gift uh, of speech. Uh, But before we get into that, we can get a little bit of what Paul's mood is when he's writing this letter. And one way you can get a sense of how is he approaching it, how does he feel about the community, is you compare this opening that I'll read in just a second to the Corinthian people to some of his other openings like he does to the church in Philippians, where Paul opens up Philippians with a very similar kind of introduction. And it's really clear he really likes the Philippian people. He has a really warm sense of affection for them. He is he's grateful for the work that they're doing. So if we compare that opening, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray for you a joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, uh, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, I share with you in God's grace. So clearly he really loves the Philippian community and that letter is going to exude Paul's love for them. One of my favorite letters, by contrast, is the letter to the Church of Galatia. He didn't have a lot of patience for them. He's really upset. So when you read this letter and you see his mood, he doesn't say anything about being real friendly with the Galatian church. He says right away, I am astonished by how quickly you have departed from the gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's evident that churches or teachers among you are leading you astray. What are you doing? He's Mm -hmm. really upset with that. So We call that the direct approach. He was quite (laughs) One of my favorite passages in scripture is by the time he's done crafting his argument to the church of Galatia after three chapters, now chapter four finally says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And and I think to understand again that these are letters, Paul wasn't just sitting, getting up, doing his quiet time and thinking, hmm, I should probably write a little scripture today. What should I talk about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was crafting these yeah. cases. And we see that right away, what he's going to be addressing in this Corinthian community. So 
He starts out in verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about all the different nuances of this, but just from an overview standpoint, it's interesting to note that he's saying, I thank my God for you. He's not grateful for them. He is grateful to God on their behalf. And he's going to be setting some stuff up that I'll, I'll talk about in just a second. He says, for in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge, thus confirming the testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what Paul's doing here just to set things up is the Corinthian people have taken the beautiful gospel and they've begun to twist it in ways to make it about themselves. And they think they are the source of the gifts and they think they are the source of knowledge and they think they are the ones who should be one upping one another. So it really was a church with a ton of division based on who could hold the most amount of power in the church. And I mean, I've been around churches for 30 years and there's been a lot of beautiful things that have happened in churches, but, but power plays are something that still exists today. So this is really relevant in terms of what Paul is setting up as he's about to craft his argument. Mm-hmm. I love that. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I've never really thought of it that way. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not, I always give thanks for you. No, I give thanks to God for you. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, he's being pretty crafty here right now because his whole point of his letter, and he's going to get into it a little later in chapter one when he talks about where actual wisdom comes from, and it's not from you, and the foolishness of this world shames the wise. I mean, he's really setting them up in some beautiful ways. So he's not just randomly throwing verses in. He's building his his argument and his case. And then within these verses, there's going to be a lot in each one of them that we can get into. Mm -hmm. All right. So I love the... Verse five, for in him you have been enriched in every way. Yeah, that's, um, he's going to, he's going to modify that a bit when he talks about, um, with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, um, and maybe I can just give you just a little window of that. And then when we come back for the second segment, we can really dig into both of those words, but it's going to be important to know what Paul means by knowledge. And there's going to be a real difference between, spiritual forms of knowledge that are part of the people of faith to whom the grace has been given and just general knowledge. And, uh, and there's going to be a real difference uh, related to the speech that comes from people of faith versus just normal speech. So he, he's going to be setting up right now that you can certainly have uh, all the intelligence and IQ of the world, and you can, you can certainly have all the requisite degrees. That doesn't mean you really know anything about God's kingdom. And so he's going to be undermining these power plays for people that think, oh, gosh, we are so smart. So I think for people listening right now that feel like I'm never going to go to seminary, I'm never going to have fancy degrees, I'm never going to study like, you know, what I hear about on Faith Radio, some of the guests that they have day in and day out, I'm just never going to be that person. I think the incredible encouragement is right out of the gate. Paul is saying that is not the kind of thing that is required to really have the intimate knowledge of God's kingdom um, where then true power comes from within the context of this world. Yeah. Boy, is that encouraging? It really is encouraging. And, it sh- and, and it, this is not um, just God making concessions to people who maybe will never like study at those levels. He's actually saying you are the key people for the kingdom. And so 
the people that we exalt as the ambassadors of God's kingdom so often aren't the ones that actually get it to begin with. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is people only really have to listen to Afternoons with Bill. That that was definitely implicit to yeah. my I'm, comments. I'm, I'm glad you teased that I, out a little Did bit. I draw that out? You did. That? You yeah. did. Yeah. That was part of my whole second segment. I was going to talk about that, but man, so I'm glad we even you... even do the second segment? Well, or... I don't think... I think now it's, yeah, it's kind of done and dusted. We, <laughs> we did our work. <laughs> All right. It is toga time. So uh, we're studying First Corinthians with Dr. Peter Kapsner, and I know you're going to have questions along the way, and we'd be more than happy to hear from you. You can text them over to 877-933-2484. I hope I didn't say that too fast. 877-933-2484. We're focusing today on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. We're going to spend the whole hour on that. I can't wait to be back from our break and continue our study in Toga Time. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. a throwback that's your that's your that's your old walk-up music. that is still somehow in the bank isn't it, it, here? it, it is, in the music bank yeah it's rosie not, just dragged not, that out again did they dust it off you did you i did. did you did yeah yeah, yeah. and that's super appropriate for for you today because you are the professor instructor uh, and this is fantastic uh, we are doing toga time we're studying first corinthians and we're we're pretending like we are living in corinth in eighty fifty five. and how would paul's words sound to us mm. so that's that's the uh the, the message that we're working on today. And in chapter uh, 1, verse 4, Peter, it says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you. Let's, I saw that word grace, and I want more. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's going to flow right back into where we just left off with speech and knowledge and actually a series of things that, that are happening here in this passage that there's going to be a number of things that flow from the grace that is offered the Corinthian people. And I don't know about you, Bill, but when I when I think about the word grace, I almost always associate it with an idea that I deserved an eternal destiny in hell, but by God's grace, I have now an eternal eternal destiny in heaven. And to whatever extent we want to think about that at, at, on other shows in different times, it's, it's certainly worth a conversation, but that's not the grace that Paul has in mind here. What's going on is that the Corinthian people are invited to live in a way of life together <clears throat> that is empowered by the Spirit among them. And they don't earn that way of life together. It is surely by God's grace that he begins to impart to them all kinds of gifts. And so when we get into spiritual um, knowledge and utterance in just a second, <clears throat> we'll see that it wasn't the fancy degrees that gave it to him. I like that. Oh, so we're um, <laughs> we're in chapter 1 of Corinthians and verse 4 to 9. So if you have your Bibles out, it's always helpful to have God's word out, if you can have it. Um, I know you probably, uh, many of you are in your car, uh, so you can uh, just listen along as we read. But Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are going to be in this series for a while. We're going to probably go through both First and Second Corinthians. 
And it's going to be a wonderful study. So we're going to continue to pretend and act as if we are living in Corinth in AD 55. Did you sign me up for 2 Corinthians as well? I think I did. I think you might have. Are you done having your coughing fit? I might. I don't know what happened. What happened? I, I, I think, like, you... seriously, a very large bullfrog I has happened. something was happening. That has never happened to me on yeah. here before. You do sound a little bit like Kermit now. I do. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the Muppets. Yeah, if so you wouldn't mind going back to Rainbow, Rainbow yeah. Connection or something, exactly. No, I, th- I think we're back back at it here. But, yeah, it's um, to get into that. To where we were, where we left off, um, that grace imparting, again, let, tying it to speech and knowledge. Um, <clears throat> first of all, our speech in God's kingdom community comes from our sense of knowledge. And it, it brings up the question, what does knowledge mean in God's kingdom? And what we want to definitely shy away from, from this passage, is that knowledge means that you have an awareness of a specific biblical doctrine, like your ability to articulate uh, something that some theologian said three or 400 years ago, and that's a doctrine. That's not the kind of knowledge that we're talking about here. Uh, we're not talking about even just having biblical knowledge. We clearly can't at this point because the New Testament hasn't been brought into being. That doesn't happen until the 300s at that uh, stage. We're not talking about being able to say creeds. We're just, we're not talking about an intellectual mm. sense of knowledge. And, and the reason why we can rule that kind of thing out is because um, anybody actually, believer or non-believer, can have that kind of knowledge. You, you could be a non-believer and be able to recite the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and know what it says. Or you could be a non-believer and study the Bible. And frankly, that happens all the time in universities in which I've run. People study the Bible from much more of a historic standpoint. They mm-hmm. don't stu- you know study it from an inspired standpoint. You can know all these doctrines. That doesn't make you a Christian. And, and I think, Bill, we do get confused that the people who really have power when they speak in God's kingdom— are also those people that have the most amount of that kind of knowledge. Right. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. They People like that sound terribly impressive, right? You know, they, and they can use big words and, and they can talk about uh, all sorts of dimensions of our faith. But that doesn't mean that they have an intimate familiarity with who God is that comes from the inside out. So knowledge here in the text, by contrast to all of that, is... Um, the, the word knowing in the Bible is often used uh, of sexual union, even between male and female. And it is this um, spiritual, emotional, relational kind of knowledge. It's an intimate familiarity with the king of the kingdom that then how that re- uh, how that um, makes itself known in our lives is that we know what is good and what is not good from the inside out. We know what is true and not true. It is It is sort of a moral knowledge. It is a recognition of what is good in God's kingdom versus not. And and that only comes from God himself. It's a grace that's given to us. We, this is what Paul means in other parts of his different letters where he says, before the law was written on tablets of stone, now the law is being written on your heart. You know um, what God's kingdom is all about. You're meant to grow in it and grow stronger and understand it. But for the people who know right from wrong and, and are people who are also growing in patience and trust and kindness, then when they speak, so this is the second part of that passage, mm-hmm. their speech comes from that place. And I'm guessing we probably all know people that maybe aren't the most impressive people in the world. But man, when they speak, there is just something almost eternal that comes out of them. And that's the kind of grace that um, that is being offered to the Corinthian community. Wow. This is really inspiring. It is to me too. Well, and I think, again, it it just makes it so accessible to all of us. Again, I mean, he is taking on these Corinthian people who really keep trying to puff themselves up through some version of knowledge and some sort of arrogance. And God is saying, no, you know who gets it in my kingdom? This is consistent with Jesus with the last being first and the first being last. You know who gets it? It's the people who humble themselves. It's the people who yield and surrender daily. It's the people who recognize, as Paul did, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, 
that he had both a genuine humility that then came with a genuine confidence that God was with him. Um, I don't know what kind of life it takes to cultivate that, but um, but I'm afraid once again that we so often elevate people who sound really great with all of their knowledge, but that doesn't mean they're speaking from a kingdom standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have some um, intellectual competence, but maybe not spiritual authority. Yeah, there's, there can be a high, I mean, this is when Jesus talks to the religious leaders of his day too. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, you, you teachers of the law, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you're filled with the bones of dead men. And, and um, the Corinthian community is meant to be filled with the life of God. And from that place they speak, and it just has power and authority and it, it cuts you to the quick and, and, and it divides joint and marrow, all of what that does when, when God's kingdom speech is in play. And, and I, I can think of a time where um, I had a trusted pastor friend of mine. Well, it was, at that time, he was actually my boss. And he took me out to dinner at the small Italian restaurant. And on the way to dinner, and this is somebody who was so dialed into the kingdom stuff, and he looked at me and he said, you know what, Peter? And I think I was about 29 at that time. He said, there's a really big difference between being liked and leading. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think that you're much more concerned with being liked than you are with leading. And, and when he spoke that, it had a power associated with it that just sort of laid me bare. And But but it, it felt safe at the same time, but there was a power. And I've had many friends over the years come and speak in that way. Or I've, I've heard people from the pulpits or sometimes kids um, can speak with this kind of capacity. It, it just goes to the idea that, again, um, real authority is only available from the Spirit in God's kingdom. Now, we do want to study and learn. And and I always tell my students at university, I say the purpose of studying and learning is that you simply are adding more tools to your toolbox so that in any given moment, you have a wide variety of tools from which to choose as mm-hmm. being led by the Spirit to do it. So you do want to study and learn. It's just your power doesn't come from your intellect. Yeah, really good, Peter. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Capture is my guest, and we are talking about First Corinthians, we're going to be studying this for a while, and I'm excited about it. And I hope you are in a place where you have your Bible open and you can look at the passages. We're in uh, the first chapter, verses 4 to 9, if you just joined us. And if you are, don't have your Bible open, we can read it for you, of course, you know, because we'll be doing that. We will be doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's just so few verses, right? Not, I mean, not it's a just, lot of verses. Yeah, there's, there's so much packed in each one of these. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Peter, let's, uh, let's keep going. Yeah, we can at least preview the next part that then we'll come back to. Um, there's a little the section where he says in verse 6, God thus uh, confirming our testimony about Christ among you. And uh, maybe we can just even p- pick this off in a minute or so, but one of the purposes of the spiritual gifts as they were being represented in the community is it really was the sign that the Gentiles were in. So we talked about the top of this hour mm-hmm. that um, there is real confusion about how the Gentiles could now be part of God's kingdom people. So we often see these expressions of spiritual life that seem maybe a little foreign to us. I don't know that they should be foreign to us, but the primary purpose of them is to demonstrate um, authoritatively that God really has gone to the Gentiles. His family now consists of a lot of different people. And and it's not just Jewish people by heritage, but it's anybody who through faith calls on the name of the Lord gets to be grafted into the beautiful family of God. And so this is the grace that's being offered and the spiritual gifts that are operating among them is proof that God really has gone to the Gentiles. So mm. that's what he's saying in verse That's six. awesome. All right, it is Toga time. And after a short break, we'll be back with lots more. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest as we're studying First Corinthians as focusing on verses 4 through 9. If you just joined us, we're so glad that you did. And if you missed uh, some of this because you just joined us, make sure you go to the beginning at myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast because you'll want to hear it all. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Thank you for joining me today. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here with me in studio, and I've been looking forward to more of our toga time, which is studying the first chapter, um, the first book of Corinthians, but we're trying to act as if we are living in Corinth in AD 55 and wondering how Paul's words would uh, fall on our ears. So that's the purpose of this study, and that's the approach we're taking to it. And the four verses is are four through nine. I'll read them again if, you, if you're in your car. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into his fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really quite the introduction to this. And I know we had somebody text in to and, and talk about the idea that... I will read that question. Some, yeah, okay, fair enough. May I? Yeah, yeah of that's course. a great question. Uh, Justin said, what you're talking about makes me think of the verse that says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Is that verse connected at all to what you're saying about the danger of having too much knowledge if I can call it a danger. Mm, yeah, spot on. Uh, Justin, you said it was yeah, a name. Yeah, spot, just spot on because actually that reference is from 1 Corinthians 8. So uh, we're noting that Paul is already setting up where he's headed with this letter and he's going to continue to talk about this idea that you can get arrogant from the amount of knowledge that you have. And, and actually Paul then even later in the letter when we get to that very famous passage from 1 Corinthians 13 is going to talk about the more excellent way of love. So he's going to contrast growing in knowledge for self-purposes versus love that is always flowing outward. So absolutely. Awesome. All right. Where are we, Peter? Yeah, I think we go into verse 7. It says you don't lack in any spiritual gift. And then uh, and we talked a little bit about that. And, and we're going to get into gifts much later in the study because it's, I think, by chapters 11, 12, and 13, we'll see a lot about spiritual gifts. Um, but there's this little phrase that says, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And, and again, just we need to call back that, we get sort of this, we, we get a series of things that are part of our community life together by grace, meaning we didn't earn them. But when we say yes to following Jesus, we're immediately brought into a community of faith. And in that community of faith, um, there's just certain ways of life that begin to be among you that is different than the ways of life in this world. And one of the things is that you actually begin to grow in eagerness for the Lord Jesus to return. Okay, let me ask you, Peter. I'm living in Corinth. I'm It's 55 AD. I got my toga on, and I'm hearing Paul say, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Huh. That's, what does that mean to me? Yeah, it's exa- and, and he's going to even address that a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15 much later. He ends up with this phrase talking about that he will reign until all things are put under his feet, this being Jesus, and, right. and, and the last thing being death, and then he will give the keys to the kingdom to the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Paul is talking about there is a coming revelation of Jesus, meaning that he came the first time veiled in his majesty or veiled in his glory. He was in the form of a man, and he was fully man, and, and he was a lamb who was being led to slaughter in order to break us free from the power of sin and death. 
But when he returns next time, being revealed in the full majesty that he is as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the Roaring Lion and, and all of the imagery we read about Jesus in Revelation, at that point in time is when he is going to put to death death in its entirety. And he's going to, there's going to be a winnowing of, or a judgment between those who have rebelled against Jesus. And he's going to um, bring fully to life those who have followed him. So we eagerly await for that time because we live in a tough world. How would this audience even have the knowledge to say, I, I, I'm waiting for him to be revealed? Where would they get that idea? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. But the, those early um, followers of Jesus, it talks about in Acts chapter 2, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching mm-hmm. and to the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Right, and right. so the apostles were clearly walking around teaching throughout the cities and the synagogues. And Paul, uh, obviously, would have taught them in the two years uh, that he probably spent in the city of Corinth. Uh, about the idea that our Messiah will be coming again. Now, okay. yeah, there's there's plenty of people that are part of the New Testament writings that got confused and thought, we thought Jesus was going to return before we died. I mean, that was almost right. the entire problem with the, uh, the book of Hebrews is they really thought Jesus was going to return. So they thought, we're done with this. We're, we're dying. He's not worth following. And so Paul is saying, no, hold firm on this. He will return. He will be revealed uh, in the end, and it's going to be worth being there. I get that, but I'm wondering how long they think it's going to be before he is revealed. <clears throat> yeah, it's probably not different than us, right? I probably, mean, I, I, yeah. I, how many times have we heard in these last three years, and probably understandably so, that because of COVID and wars in Ukraine and um, and you know climate, um, we wonder about the climate changes that are going on and the heat and like all of this stuff. There's a lot of people, and I just heard it again this last weekend, where somebody said, "I'm sure we're in the end times right now," and uh, here's what I would say, that if we were wearing our togas in 55 AD and yeah. we were experiencing the slaughter of the Roman Empire and, mm-hmm. and so much of the pain and bloodshed and the, and the plagues and disease, we would have been pretty well convinced that it was happening at that time, yeah, too. no kidding. Yeah, for sure. So there's this sense in which, though, as we live within the struggles of this world around us, we um, we can't drum up hope ourselves, but we can ask God to grow in the hope that we wait for his eager return. And that's what that's one of the, the things that makes Christians really different is that, uh, at least in theory, you and me and Rosie and everybody listening, is that we are not um, eagerly awaiting uh, tomorrow's dinner at the local steakhouse, or we're not eagerly awaiting um, when we get to go on vacation somewhere, the thing, the trappings of this world that we think are going to bring us sort of the ultimate hope. Uh, Christians are inhabited by a different kind of hope. You can't drum it up yourself, but you begin to grow in it, and you're like, oh, man, I can't wait until this whole thing is set right because th- this world is tough. And and it's not just tough for me. Um, I think growing mature Christians begin to weep over the pain of other people. And they begin to long for the return of Jesus, not just for their own infirmities and difficulties mm-hmm. and sorrows. They begin to see the world around them and say, oh, Jesus, come soon. No. Maranatha, right? I yeah, mean, these right, words. Yeah. And you're just like, we need to set this thing right. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what we see in the Christian community is that they are people meant through the grace given to them by God, not deserved, that they grow in this hope. But they also are keepers of the hope. I would hope that if somebody walked into the studio right now, they would feel something different. I was just telling you in the green room uh, that we were at a good friend's house last night, somebody I've known a lot of years, and he just turned 70. uh, And his wife and him, we walked in with our good friends. um, The six of us had dinner together. Bill, I left that night so filled with hope just simply because of who these two people were. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just... When going back, when they spoke, there was a knowledge or a familiarity of, of who Jesus is, and their words had power and authority, and there was a hospitality and, and a, a sense of almost Sabbath about them and peace. And I walked into that room, and and uh, it 
called again to mind that this whole kingdom thing is real. And I can't wait. If this is a little taste of it Mm -hmm. in these three hours over dinner with them, I can't wait until the full course comes. And we're all at what Revelation describes as the wedding supper of the Lamb celebrating the return of Jesus. Mm. I just love the uh, the word eagerly. Uh, That to me is a little bit of a game changer in that verse. You know, if Paul said, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the Lord. Mm. But the, he throws the word eagerly in there. And, of course, that creates, in, for me, a, a greater sense of anticipation. It does. And don't you think Christians should be then cheerful? You I know, and, and, I, and I don't mean like slap happy cheerful. I just mean this like, you know what? This whole thing is covered. Let's yeah. laugh and have fun. I mean, right? Well, you, <laughs> I mean, you're, talking to the right guy. You're talking to the right guy. I'm definitely yeah. talking to the right guy. Yeah, but but I think sometimes we think that Christianity is, and it is, it is deadly serious, and, and we need to be sober-minded about what's going on in the good and evil in this world. But Christians of all people should be the ones of the greatest cheer. Um, because at the end of the day, if God is for us, who is against us? And we know our king is returning. Yeah. And, and it just gives shape to how we do our lives today. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I love that and passage. I know. Um, I don't know what translation that is, but the whole idea of being of good cheer, I wonder how often Christians are characterized as people of good cheer. Yeah. Are we modeling good cheer? Are we Are we attractive? Are we winsome? Are we? Have Do people look and go, well, what's with that Peter guy? He seems like a pretty happy guy. I mean, I hope so, right? But I think that's almost always hard fought for people, right? I mean, I think it's almost always trials and tribulations and you go through those things and they just bring a different kind of perspective. I think the most cheerful people I I know in the way that you just described are almost always the people who have been through the greatest sorrows and travails in their life because they know that if their shepherd shepherd held them all the way through that... What what do I have to be afraid yeah. of? I can just get up and laugh in the morning, even if I am going to experience something else. I, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. God is faithful. He is faithful. And and so when you've tested his faithful or his faithfulness has been tested in your mm-hmm. life through those times. Been demonstrated. You get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, you know, then you just laugh because you know, he's got your back no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, that old expression, you know, one day we'll laugh about this. <laughs> I always think, well, why don't you laugh about it now? Yeah, right. <laughs> why yeah. wait for that one day? Why don't you just laugh now? That's very fair. It, it, yeah. and, and it does, but that requires a different perspective too, right? I mean, and, and it doesn't, like laughter and tears are two sides of the same coin. You're just yeah. fully present to life totally. uh, on all of it. You don't yeah. try to suppress the tears by laughing it away or making a joke out of something. They're both all in the same pot of kingdom life. Yeah, because you've done both. Totally. You, know, you laugh so hard, you start crying. And you cry so hard, you start laughing. <laughs> it's really, and yes, both of those things have been, I'm sure anybody listening can uh, can sympathize with yeah, that. Yeah, it's happened for to sure. everybody who's listening. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we move on to verse eight? Yeah, I think we could. Uh, this is an interesting little part here that I think some people would probably um, have some questions about where it says, he will then keep you firm to the end, meaning that uh, as you eagerly await for Jesus to be revealed in his fullness, he will keep you firm into that end so that you're blameless. And I think uh, you could probably understand that passage and and it's not necessarily what's going on here but somebody might say oh gosh um does that mean that if i'm part of the kingdom community now that i for sure will be and then somebody's probably going to ask the question does that mean i can lose my salvation and and that's again probably too big of a topic for what's here but for sure people and i think we've even taken this kind of question maybe even from this verse in guy talk where there are um other passages that indicate something about jesus will hold you to the end or there's a firmness to the end and and that's not what's happening uh, in this passage. What's going on is that as you stay within the family of God, as you stay within the community, as you continue to say yes and, and, and surrender and yield your life, 
You just need to to know that he will continue to dispense to you grace upon grace upon grace. He will give you everything you need in any given situation at any given time to keep you firm all the way to the end. You never have to worry about God abandoning you or walking away from you. He will never forsake you. He will um, never leave you Mm -hmm. in those places. And so he will keep you firm uh, until the end. But there is probably another question maybe we could spend a couple minutes with after the break is, it does come up quite a bit. Uh, can you lose your salvation? And again, that's not what's in mind in this passage. Um, but I think there's probably some fair things that we could talk about because I think the question comes up, well, if you've been given this grace and been part of the community and you're living in this way, could you walk away from that at the end of the day? And, and you know, there's troubling stories of people who um, decide to walk away from their earthly families and say, never again, I, I will not have any part of this. And And I think... And the Bible has a lot of passages associated with that kind of active, fist-shaking rebellion. Um, it's called blaspheming the Spirit, uh, to use some of the, the biblical language, where people say, you know what, I've tasted of this, and Paul talks about this in other passages, and I'm going to walk away from this, and I am going to become an active rebellion to God. And and so this idea, um, hmm, you know, this the idea that you lose your salvation is a, is a topic for a different time. But what's going on here is this seems to be a total indication that you can absolutely walk away from God's community. Uh, and, and that's what's in mind here. But if you stay within it, however you stumble and stagger and however difficult your life is and whatever patterns of sin you're in, just keep staying with it and staying with it. Like God will always be there to help you persevere. Mm-hmm. The end. How do we in love and uh, in love encourage people that he will keep you firm to the end? I'm sure people listening going, mm, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. Well, and, and don't you think maybe too, it's especially um, true when we're going through really difficult circumstances totally. in our life. I mean, I, I think we all think we're signing up for a life uh, of expectations in which good things are going to happen to us. I mean, think about when we use the word blessed most often that, that word blessed is almost always in relation to some good event in our life. And I think we all have an expectation of the way life is supposed to go, whether it's to have two healthy kids or uh, to have a job that we love or a spouse that uh, we get to do the journey with or whatever it is. But I think going back to what you just said, that in this world you will have trouble. I think if we can sign up um, for the perspective that life actually is going to be difficult, whatever bubble we live in for a short period of time in which it seems like the circumstances around us are all good, um, those bubbles always come to an end. And, and I think it's really important to recognize that we're signing up for a life of sorrow. Um, and, and when you do that, that's when you find a different kind of joy and a different kind of laughter. So I think for people who are struggling to want to, um, understandably so, they don't know that God is faithful. God's faithfulness is not demonstrated in the circumstances in our life. His, dem- his faithfulness is demonstrated that he will never leave us. And that's something you and I have talked about over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we just can't emphasize that enough because so many people are caught up in the idea that God's faithfulness is demonstrated when good things are happening in our lives according to the metrics that we've decided as what right. is good. And we end up creating idols and then asking God to serve our idols with us. Ooh. It's so subtle. Wow. We're going to take a break. When we come back, lots more Toga time with Dr. Peter Kapsner. We are in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 4 through 9. We'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio. 
And what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live? We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. I'm back with Dr. Peter Kaffner. What's your middle name, Peter? <laughs> That's a personal question. That, uh, just, what is it? Oh, I have to say it on air? No, you don't. <laughs> oh, I see a red light in front of my microphone. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Braun. It's, uh, excuse me? See, that, see, this is, I knew you were going to do just that reaction. It's Braun? It's Braun. You, you would think it would be Braun? B- well, it is. I mean, that's how I, it was sort of a German name, like okay. B-R-A-U-N. Now, I, yeah, I understand it as B-R-A-W-N, as you might imagine. Yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> so it's, but, I like it. Yeah, yeah Peter Braun Kaffner. I like it. Yeah. I All can right. give it to you backwards some years. No, yeah, that's not, not, not today, necessary. Though. Not yeah. today. All right, we are enjoying Toga time with Dr. Peter Kaffner. He's doing all the heavy lifting, does all the study and research, and is presenting First Corinthians to us, and we'll be doing this for a while. So we call it Toga time because we want to have you be living in Corinth in eighty fifty five and wondering how people at that time would be hearing Paul's words. So right now we're going to talk about verse 9. It says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we just talked about God's faithfulness at the at the end of the last uh, little segment there. And I, I just don't know, Bill, if we can spend enough time um, talking about God's faithfulness. The, the heart of the Christian life is a heart of trust, where we give our lives um, and, and the care of our lives to a being who is at the center of the universe. And we say, okay, I trust you on behalf of the unknown future. I mean, all three of us sitting in studio, again, everybody listening, there isn't a single thing about our future that we actually know. And uh, and we think we might. I mean, we all assume that you're going to be here tomorrow at, at 4 o'clock Central Time, and so will I, and we'll be doing Guy Talk. Yeah, not a clue, though. We genuinely have literally no idea. Yeah. Uh, and it is one, again, the subtlety of idolatry is probably um, the most insidious kind of evil that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much evil in the world that is really big and obvious evil. And you just obviously open up a newspaper, read Google, whatever. You're going to see all of that obvious evil. Yeah. But but I've always been of the mind that um, if I was Satan, and I'm glad I'm not, but if I was, um, it, the, the, the subtlety or the craftiness of evil is where I would really begin to lead people astray, where they didn't know that they actually were walking in ways that were going to wreak havoc on their yeah. souls. And, and one of them is the deception that we think we know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And most of us do. And then not only that, we begin to build assumptions or even sort of excitement about tomorrow. And it's not bad to be excited if you're going to go see some friends tomorrow and all those things. But what ends up happening then is that some event will sometimes disrupt what our plans are going to be. Something in this world, a, um, a phone call that you never imagined you were going to take. Um, or uh, you get called into your boss's office and didn't see it coming, or it doesn't even have to be that big of a thing. But, but our expect uh, the the idols that we create through our expectations about what's going to happen, and then we sort of do our life serving those sorts of idols, and then they get disrupted. And the first thing that we do is we go question God. 
instead of questioning the idols that we set up, instead of questioning our expectations, instead of questioning what we assume we deserve in this life, and especially when we live in a country that was founded on the idea that we deserve to be able to pursue happiness according to our own desires, wishes, and dreams. And again, there's a lot of good that can come from that. But if you allow it to go too far, then we end up living with 400 million people in our country that believe they are entitled to or deserve something on behalf of their future, and they set it all up. No wonder God gets questioned in all of that. It's like, wait a second, God, you weren't faithful because I had my plan and my plan didn't happen. Where are you? I mean, how many times, this is my life. I'm, you know, I can say this all day long, but I can also speak to how I've lived that life where I, I rail against God because my life didn't work out the way I think it should. Mm. Now, it's really different to say something along the lines of, um, so we live in a world, according to Paul, that is currently governed by principalities and powers that we do not see in this present darkness, and it's a world of fallenness and suffering. If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have to come and do what he did. I mean, the the extreme way in which God dealt with all of this by sending himself and dying on the cross, becoming subject to all of that himself, it must mean something's pretty amiss in this world. We just don't see it. And uh, and so when we begin to see that we still live in a broken and fallen world, we are going to have trouble in this world. Um, but then Jesus says, but take care of, overcome the world. And, and one of the ways in which we can live that out is to know that even if the worst could, should happen in our lives, um, God is still going to be there. He will still be present. And it's why Dallas Willard says that the universe is ultimately a safe place, not because bad things won't happen to us, but because no matter what happens, where can you flee from God's presence? And this is the psalmist now, right? You go to the uh, the, high, the the heights of the earth and I am there. You go to the depths of the earth, I am there. Um, wherever you go, you cannot flee from my spirit. And And I think to trust that God will work things out in the end in ways that we simply can't see right now is one of the hardest invitations in this life, especially for people who have gone through unbelievable tragedy, you know, whether it's maybe uh, the the unspeakable loss of losing a child or, or, um, you know, COVID, I'm sure many people listening right now has, has wreaked havoc on lives and maybe people have long COVID and just wonder if they're even going to ever feel healthy again. And all of that, um, it's one of the hardest invitations to trust that God, um, will redeem and restore. But that's where going back to what Paul said before we eagerly await for the revealing of the Lord Jesus, because at that time now is when everything is going to be wiped out. And, and I don't know how else to do life other than to trust in that kind of faithfulness. But that's hard to do minute by minute and hour by hour. And this is where you need a community of people around you to do it with you. And that's part of what it talks about then, where it says, who's called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can't bear that burden ourselves. And, and the fellowship of Jesus is with Jesus himself, who promises at the end of Matthew that I will never leave you. Behold, I'm with you always. But it also is part of the community in, in which uh, we find ourselves, where two or three gather, he is he is there with us. So there's a lot in that, Bill. But um, to that Corinthian community, he is trying to reestablish what happens in the Christian life. I mean, if we were just to title this whole hour, it would be what to expect from the Christian life. There's going to be an incredible grace given to you for this world. Um, and it's going to be undeserved without any merit. You didn't earn it in this world, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to grow in knowledge in the kingdom. And when you speak, it's going to make sense. And there's going to be power and authority available to you. You will grow in an otherworldly hope that, that will, um, manifest in, in, in terms of you can't wait till Jesus returns. You will, you will grow in, uh, the idea that God is faithful. Like you'll just become a person who just can't really be fussed by what's going on. Uh, you, you're able to stand in the storms of this life because you're anchored somewhere so different. 
and creeds and doctrines and knowledge can't get you there. Um, it, it is a grace that is offered to the community. And boy, oh boy, I would love to be in Sabbath every Sunday with a community of people, not just myself, but standing with people who are growing in this kind of grace and authority, that kind of thing bears witness to the world. And the Corinthian people had forgotten all about it. They were fighting and arguing and doing power plays and trying to decide who was the best among them and all of those sorts of things. And it just kills what's actually going on in the world. Wow. Amazing. And again, I'm reminded that our, our hearts are idle manufacturing mm. facilities. They really, I think, we're churn them out all day long. We're them they? all the time and then serving them and looking to them and then feeling disappointed when we don't get what we hope. Yeah, and I understand that. I, right? I mean, our, our, our whole like society, educational system, everything is set up to do exactly those things. To Even that statement, you can be whatever you want to be. If you think, if you just really, I mean, I get it. It's good intentions that we say it and we want to empower people. But it's kind of an idolatrous statement it is. At, its, at its heart. If it we, is. You know, I mean, Paul is always saying things like, he's never saying, hey, I get to be whatever I want to be. He's always saying things like, so now I'm a bondservant to the king. And my life is his, and I will go where he leads. And, and independent of any of that, um, I'm, I'm heading that way. That's very different than you're, you can be whatever you want to be. That's a strong close. That is a strong close. <laughs> did you plan it that way? I that did, is a really but now strong I'm close. actually convicted by it. No, it is what you said is so it is. important. It is it's just so, so meaningful. You're just feeding my, my soul today, and Rosie's too. She's looking at you like... Where'd you come from? <laughs> Peter is so good. It was good, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, good. who are you and what have you done with Peter Kaffner? Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to bring him back tomorrow for Guy Talks. <laughs> well, it's so delightful. I mean, when do, who, who gets to do this? We had a whole hour together with a bunch of believers listening all around it's, our country and amazing. world. And we're sitting here talking about kingdom life. This is, it is stunning for me. I yeah, just absolutely it love is. it. We're going to talk about some more kingdom life in the next uh, hour. We've got Glenn Scrivener all the way from the U.K., He's been really good. Yeah, and I will say that we recorded that because he's six hours ahead of us, and we can't expect him to come on live at 11 o'clock at night his time. And I wish people could see him because he was so animated when he talked. He was on Zoom, and he's just all over the place with this great accent and everything. He brought some great material to the table for that. And great hair. Way better than you and I combined, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. right. So that's what's ahead. Uh, Glenn Scrivener, all the way from the U.K., he is our guest for the Sunburnt series. That's coming up next, and we will continue with Toga Time. Just so you know, we're going to be doing this for a while. We're going to go through the book of First Corinthians, and then I just told Peter second as well. So that's what he just found out for the first time today. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.